of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. And welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Thank you for joining me today. We are here in the penultimate chapter of the book of Psalms, Psalm 149, concluding this psalm project. The next one will be the last one, and it is bittersweet. Um, so, Psalm 149. Um, It is a reference to uh, singing the Lord a new song. I've discussed this a little bit, but um, Scripture does command us to sing a new song to the Lord. That's because uh, no matter what we say or sing to Him, it can never be enough, and there can never be enough new words to describe Him. And that is not to say that we should not utilize old songs and old texts. That's not what it means at all. Um... But we are commanded to sing a new song. And so um, there, there is a foundational reason for that. This, this psalm, speaking of singing a new song, and the reference here suggests, especially in verses 6 through 9, I'll read this in a minute, but it suggests that this song was sung in celebration of a victory in battle or during a war. So let me read for you Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones, Praise the Lord. So you can see the reference there that that why many scholars think that this was probably utilized uh, to celebrate a victory uh, from a battle or during war. I want to begin with verse 2. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. So God brought Israel into being as a nation in the Exodus and at Sinai, and he now rules over them. And and these events provide ample reasons to worship him. And then he says, children of Zion. Again, I've mentioned that, that Israel is God's chosen people. And we see that here. We need to be careful. Yes, believers, Christians, although Gentiles, have been grafted in to the family of God through Jesus Christ. But that does not mean 
that we, as let's say the United States, are God's chosen people. Yes, Christians are, but the nation, uh, the Christian nation, if you will, God's holy nation, is a global nation. It is not just the United States. It is not just any other country. Um, But when you go to the foundation of Scripture, the foundation of God's people, God chose the children of Abraham, specifically Israel. And we have been grafted in and are now made a part of that. Verse 3, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. So the psalmist calls on Israel to celebrate the Lord actively with enthusiasm and joy. I attend a church that is, uh, uh, it has apostolic roots. It is charismatic in nature. And um, now when I was growing up and used to attend a friend of mine's United Pentecostal Church, it was um, quite different from the church that I went to that my dad pastored, which was a Southern Baptist church. Um, the excitement level was a little bit different. Let's just say that. Um, I feel like now the 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 gap between charismatic approaches to worship and uh, let's say cessationist, if you want to, approaches to worship have come closer together. There's not as wide of a gap. Um, but a church where I attend, um, there's a lady that uh, at the at a certain campus that every now and then I just see her start running through the uh, worship space. <laughs> she just starts running during the middle of uh, when while everybody's singing. There's another lady. I call her the flag lady. And she starts waving this flag and one day she's going to whack somebody in the head and I'm going to laugh so hard when it happens. But uh, she is excited. <laughs> and that's that's her approach to worship. I've been to church before, churches before where somebody in the congregation, mind you, not on the platform, but in the congregation, will break out a tambourine and just start playing a tambourine in the congregation. And so um, the point here is that, that the psalmist calls... God's people to celebrate the Lord with joy, with enthusiasm, and with the instruments that they have uh, loudly and and jubilantly. Verse 5, let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. And so they may worship God at all times, in public and in private. Verse 7, to execute vengeance on the nations. In other words, God uses his people to bring judgment on the nations. And the most notable example from biblical history is the judgment brought upon the Canaanites in the time of Joshua. Then verse 9. As I've mentioned, these psalms, these last few psalms, as a closing and concluding grand doxology All of them begin and end with praise the Lord. So whatever they say in between, everything is framed by and approached from the place of praise. So the psalm here ends with praise the Lord. So here is Psalm 149 set to music. It is a psalm that speaks of singing a new song to the Lord and executing God's justice as 
his people. Here is Psalm 149, set to music. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Oh.